Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org. And please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. First, right before service, I ran outside and I had my microphone hanging off my ear and it's like, is church start already? It says, yeah, it's going on right now. And uh, so I was yelling repent outside really loud. It reminded me of a church we played at when I played in a Christian band. It was Assemblies of God Church and my cousin actually attended the church to see what it was like. And he said the preacher, and this is going back to the mid 80s, so they were just introducing the uh, wireless microphones and guitars, and they didn't work very well, but they were just introducing that. So this was not that. It was not wireless. He had a, a microphone cord that was long enough that he could run up the aisle, out the front door, and keep on preaching to the street outside. And uh, he would do that. He would, like, disappear but his voice kept being heard because he kept preaching, running outside. And then I thought of uh, out in the School of Ministry and at Calvary Costa Mesa, the class before mine, so this didn't happen in my class. It happened in the class before mine. My friend John Marcourt was part of that class, so he witnessed it. And uh, the guy's name was Ricky. I can't think of his last name right now, but... He was doing, uh, we had twice in School of Ministry, we would do our 15-minute sermons uh, behind Pastor Chuck's pulpit, and they would film it, and you'd get a recording of it, and I probably have a recording somewhere. I think I loaned it to somebody, and they may have lost one of them, but I wouldn't know. They're on VHS, and they're a long time ago, but one of the guys was doing his 15-minute sermon, and he did the whole thing from... Um, presenting the Word of God and doing an altar call and calling people forward to receive Christ. And what they did not know was that normally the speakers outside the church were turned off. That's something that would be on for Pastor Chuck or other teachers during the services during Sunday or midweek services. But normally those speakers would be turned off. But that day, somebody forgot to turn the outside speakers off So when he did the altar call, somebody came in and they came forward and they received Christ. It was just, sorry, it was a practice sermon. We can't do this. Um, God can do things in ways we would never expect it. So sometimes having the word of God go outside of the church can bring people in and people can get saved. Anyways, a couple of stories I was thinking of, probably because I ran outside with my microphone on and decided I was going to preach for a moment. Tonight we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapters 10 and 11. 10 and 11. So I'll keep repeating this and we'll get it driven into our minds that the Septuagint, the word Deuteronomy comes from the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures. And Septuagint was translated, or the Old Testament was translated into Greek well before the time of Christ. And uh, the Apostle Paul and some of the other leaders in the New Testament church, you can tell, like uh, Stephen, and uh, maybe Apollos was familiar with it as well, but you could tell when they quote scripture that they were using the Septuagint instead of the Hebrew Bible because of some of the changes, um, variations from the two translations. But Deuteronomy means second law. And so that comes from the Septuagint. That's the Septuagint title. The title for the Hebrew, for the book of Deuteronomy, is the first word translated for us. These are the words... And so it goes on, Deuteronomy 1.1, these are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of the Jordan in the 
wilderness. And so these are the words. These are the words that God gave to Israel, that second generation, as Moses is preparing them to enter into the promised land. Last week, uh, Moses said in chapter 9, I believe, that this day you will enter into the land. So I don't know if this day meant that that very day they were getting ready to enter in. There's quite a bit of scripture left. So he did a lot of talking on that day to get the rest of the narrative in. But he is rehearsing to the second generation who had come out of Egypt, their parents, many of the children still surviving, now the adults, uh, if they were 20 years old and under, they lived through the 40 years. And so that meant that you had some 58, 60-year-olds and everybody below them. And then you had two individuals, uh, Joshua and Caleb, who were around 80. Caleb, in the book of Joshua, at one point say that he's 85 years old and I am as strong now as I was when we spied out the land when we were 40. And so it's kind of mind-blowing to think of it as far as a whole society that everybody in the society, the majority of them were 60 years old and under. And then you had two individuals who were right around between 80 and 85 years old in these next few years. And then you had Moses at this time, who was 120 years old. And so you had somebody who was really, really old, somebody who was in our age, 85, that's pretty old. And then uh, people my age and below in the whole population, pretty much comprising of that. But here, Moses reminds those who had seen with their own eyes the work that God had done in Egypt and throughout the wilderness. And so he's reminding them not uh, so much of, and he does the Ten Commandments and the law and all that, but he's reminding them of what they had seen with their own eyes. And uh, that is something that uh, should be important for them to uh, comprehend, that they witnessed these things, not everyone, But there were those who had witnessed these things and they were now to pass them on to the children of Israel that they would be able to uh, share the things that they had witnessed with their children and the next generation to prepare them to not only enter into the promised land, but to have them flourish. All right, that worked pretty good. I uh, looked down and saw I still have my notes from Sunday on my iPad, and so I jabbered enough to get my new notes up for tonight. Deuteronomy chapter 10. uh, Two verses are key to me in chapter 10. Verses 12 and 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him to serve the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Now, I don't know if you underline in your Bible, but I did in my notes those words, for your good. These are the things that God required of the nation of Israel. And it was not for their harm, not for their hurts. Oh, the rules, the Bible, it's so tough. No, it's for our good to walk in the ways of the Lord. And so we find in this chapter, and I titled this chapter, God's Requirements. In the first five verses, we have a retelling of how Moses received the Ten Commandments the second time. In verses six through nine, Moses kind of disrupts his own narrative to talk about how Eliezer succeeded his dad, Aaron, as the high priest after Aaron died, and also how God set aside the tribe of Levi to serve in the priestly line to help the priest, and they had duties at the tabernacle and later on the temple. And then he comes back to verses 10 and 11 and talks about Moses again and the receiving of the Ten Commandments and 12 through 22. It's really a wonderful and rich proclamation of God's word.
how Israel was to worship the Lord. And I've read through these verses several times. uh, And I hope that maybe I can give some justice to this portion of Scripture. Even in in my Bible I have, and I, I didn't look at this until just now, but I have a wide margin Bible that I've written notes in years ago. Uh, the last time I taught through Deuteronomy, my notes are right here from the last time in my Bible. And I really didn't have much to say in verses 1 through 11. I made one note next to verse 4, but I marked up verses 12 through 22 and almost have a note for every verse. So uh, they stood out to me years ago when I went through Deuteronomy. It still stands out to me today. So here we have the second set of the tablets, the Ten Commandments, verses 1 through 5 at that time. The Lord said to me, so Moses is speaking, Hew for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and come up to me on the mountain and make yourself an ark of wood, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke, and you shall put them in the ark. And so I made an ark of acacia wood, hewed two tablets of stone like the first, and went up the mountain having the two tablets in my hand. <laughs> you know, he didn't have an ark when he came down the last time, and he was so mad at the children of Israel that he threw them down and broke them. And it seems that God, this time, he's like, make yourself a nice box. You're going to bring the stone up, and then when I write on them, you're going to put them away. You're going to pack them nice when you carry them down. You're not going to break these. Anyways, that was on my heart as I was reading through that. Verse 4 and 5, And he wrote on the tablets, according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord has spoken to you in the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. Then I turned and came down the mountain put the tablets in the ark which I had made, and there they are just as the Lord had commanded. And so there is the Ark of the Covenant, and that's where ultimately these things would remain. So Moses, as we know, he broke the first two tablets after Israel's rebellion against God when they had Aaron make the golden calf. They sacrificed to the calf. They worshiped the calf. And then they rose to play. I'm really talking about sensual sins that took place there. In Exodus 32.6, this is the original account. And they arose early the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And so they sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Paul gives commentary over this in 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and 7, saying, Now these things became our example to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written. And so he just quotes it. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And so they lusted toward one another. They lusted for foreign gods. They were idolaters and possibly adulterers. So for a second time, Moses went up for the mountain. It was for a 40-day period, 40 days and 40 nights. No food, no water, and the miracle in itself that God sustained him. And to consider this, that he had two back-to-back 40 days and 40-night fasts. I only have personally in my life met uh, one of the guys that was in the school of ministry with me. His name is Harris. And uh, I saw him years ago at a pastor's conference in California. And he was always fit. He was a, a lawyer, but he did 20 years as a Marine. And so he never lost the physical fitness of being a Marine. And the man was strong and always fit, but I saw him. He looked really slim. And I said, man, it looks like he lost a lot of weight. And he had just finished a 40-day fast. In his community, pastors had pledged to do back-to-back 40-day fast. And so he, he had said, I just finished mine. And another pastor has just started his. 
And that's quite a commitment there. But Moses was doing this the second time in a very short period of time. So a miracle in itself that God sustained Moses, um, he should have had needed a lot of time of recovery. But he's also praying. He was interceding for the people because of their sin. And God was ready to wipe them out. But God's mercy, he gave them the law a second time. The same law, the same law that he had spoken to them. And this is something that I think it's easy for us to miss. But in the text, in verse 4, it says, he wrote on the tablets, the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord had spoken to you in the mountain from the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. The Lord gave them to me. The Lord spoke them to you. The Lord gave them to me. What happened is when God gathered all the people near Mount Sinai and the Holy Mountain in Deuteronomy always refers to Mount Horeb, but Mount Sinai in Exodus count. But the mountain of God, the people witnessed Exodus 20:18. They witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet. They saw the mountain smoking and the people saw it and they trembled and they stood afar off. They had witnessed all these things. They heard the voice of God. God gave them the commandments. And they told Moses, you go up. You talk to God for us. We'll do what you say. And the people stood afar off. And standing afar off is why many people fall away from the Lord. They distance themselves. Before they know it, you know, it's just missing church uh, every once in a while. Or missing church, you know, I go three out of the four times on Sunday in the month and and then before you know it, they're only going two out of the four Sundays in a month. And before you know it, it's only one Sunday and suddenly it's no Sundays. They just, they began standing afar off and they fall away from the Lord. This is part of the sin of Israel, but it happens repeatedly to so many throughout the world. So all Moses needed this time was two blank tablets. God was going to write down a duplicate of the Ten Commandments. He was going to write with the finger of God. And today God writes not on stone tablets, but on the flesh of our hearts. In 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3, it says, You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, clearly you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not by ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And so he kind of breaks the narrative in verses 6 through 9, saying, Now the children of Israel journeyed from the well, wells of Ben-Jachin to Marsera, where Aaron died and where he was buried, and Eliezer, his son, ministered as priest in his stead. From there they journeyed to Gudada. I know I'm hacking these words, but they're hard to say. And from Gugoda, uh, Japatha. Uh, that place, Japatha, means place of the wadis or many waters. It says actually, in verse 7, the land of rivers of water. So sometimes they were without water in the wilderness. At other times, God had them camp here in a land of many waters. And at that time, the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless his name as it is to this day. Therefore, Levi has no portion nor inheritance with his brethren. The Lord is his inheritance, just as the Lord your God promised him. So he breaks the narrative. Actually, uh, in my New King James, they put parentheses here to kind of let you know that this is, is a thought that Moses had as he's telling about. And actually, it would fit better. 
but it's the Word of God, and we'll go with how it's been written, to go through 1 through 5, and then go right down to 10 and 11. One of the commentaries I was reading, that's how they did commentary on this. They just took this parenthesis section and put it below. But he tells about the death of his brother Aaron. He tells about some of the areas that they went and traveled at that time. But really how Eliezer succeeded his father as the high priest and how the Levites then became a help and aid to the priestly line, being part of the family of the priestly line, but that they did not receive an inheritance in the land of Israel. They were not to receive an inheritance. We always talk about the 12 tribes of Israel, but when we say the 12 tribes, we're never counting the tribe of Levi in that mix. They would number number 13. And uh, there are 12 sons, but Joseph's sons were divided, Ephraim and Manasseh, and became part of the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. So Levi didn't receive any inheritance in the land. God would spread them out throughout the promised land. Not only were they to aid at the temple and tabernacle and help in the service of the worship of God, but they kind of represented the Lord in the communities where they lived. They became, many of them became teachers and scribes and helped people in their walk with the Lord. So Moses spent time in intercessory prayer for Israel while he was on that mountain. It made me think of Samuel this morning when he was rejected by Israel to be judge over the nation. They said, give us a king like all the other nations. They wanted to be like the other nations. And Samuel felt that they had rejected him. God told Samuel, they didn't reject you. They've rejected me to rule over them. But Samuel said to the people, even though he felt rejected by them, even though they requested a king and God was going to allow that to happen, in 1 Samuel 12:23, Samuel said, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Although Samuel felt rejected by Israel, his prayers on behalf of the people were so important to him that he said, For me, it would be sin against the Lord if I didn't pray for you and if I would cease to teach you the good and the right way. Because of Moses' intercessory prayer, Yahweh relented from bringing harm against the nation of Israel, renewed his covenant with them. In verses 10 and 11, it says, As at the first time, I stayed in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, and the Lord also heard me at that time, and the Lord chose not to destroy you. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, begin your journey before the people, that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. So it was time to enter into the promised land. The promised land was there, and God is calling them to arise and go. Possess the land, the land that I swore to your fathers. So we find in verses 12 through 22, as we close out this chapter, very rich, so I don't want to interrupt the Word of God and make commentary as we go. I want to read through the entire portion, and then I'll come back to make commentary about some of the things that we see there. Picking up Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, it says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord God, the Lord your God, require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the high heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. 
The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all the peoples, as it is to this day. Uh, the descendants, while well, it's plural in the New King James in verse 15, in the Hebrew, that is a singular word for seed. He chose their seed after them. And so uh, that seed is important. Ultimately, it points to Christ. So sometimes the translators try to help us out. He's talking about all of Israel. So descendants, plural. But the Hebrew was specific to make it singular, literally seed. So that's a bonus. But as I was reading through it, I had it highlighted from the last time I taught in my Bible here. Verse 16, picking up again. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords and the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He ministers justice for the fatherless and the widow, loves the stranger, gives him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise, and he is your God, who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude. So five things he begins with in verses 12 and 13. I have these numbered in my Bible. What does the Lord require of you? Well, number one, to fear the Lord your God. Number two, to walk in all his ways. Number three, to love him. Number four, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. That sounds familiar. I believe I remember Jesus repeating that line. And number five, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes. So to fear the Lord, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord with all their heart and soul, and to keep his commandments and statutes. These are good things for us to remember. Jesus added a sixth when he was asked about the works of God. What shall we do that we may do the works of God? Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. John 6, 28 and 29. So all these things are good. But if you do it without faith, without faith in Jesus Christ, you're doing the letter of the law, but not properly applying it to your heart as the Lord has given it to us this day. So in verse 14, it mentions heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in them. They all belong to the Lord God. And this includes what we claim, even as our own, it all belongs to God. And the highest heavens, Paul talks about being caught up in 2 Corinthians 12, 2, to the third heaven. And in the Bible, we do learn when it speaks about heavens, it has three separate heavens that can be referred to at times. The first heaven is where birds, airplanes fly around today, maybe a kite. The second heaven is where the sun, moon, and stars reside. The third is the dwelling place of God. This was the place where Paul was caught up to in 2 Corinthians 12:2, when he was caught up to the third heaven. Verses 16 and 15, Moses reminds Israel that Yahweh delights in and loved their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That God loved and delighted in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God personally 
came to each one. He passed on the covenant of Abraham to Isaac. We'll read about that in our teaching tonight. He would also pass on that covenant to Jacob. We never read of him passing it on to any of Jacob's sons, as he did with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But God chose their descendants above all the peoples of the earth. Speaking about all the other nations of the earth, Israel was set apart. Therefore, they were to be stiff-necked no longer. They were to circumcise the foreskins of their heart. Verse 16. So they physically had the rite of circumcision. But here he refers to it as a, a heart issue as well. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Israel had the outward sign of circumcision, but they truly needed was that inward sign of circumcision. Paul talked about it in Romans 2, verses 28 and 29, where he said, For he is not a Jew who is one who is outwardly, nor is circumcision that outwardly in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision that is of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. In 17 and 18, Moses proclaims the wonder, the majesty of the Lord God, reminds Israel of Yahweh's justice and his love toward them. In verse 19, as a result, Israel was to show justice, to show love to the strangers among them. And he reminds them that you came out of Egypt. You were strangers in Egypt. So you should therefore, when strangers come into your territory, into your land, show them love, show them justice. Jesus taught this in Luke 6, 35 and 36. He said, love your enemies, do good and lend. Hope for nothing in return and your reward will be great. You will be the sons of the Most High for he is kind to the un." thankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father is also merciful. God is kind. God is merciful to those who don't even love him. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. So as his followers, we should strive to be like our Father, be like Jesus. And finally, in verses 20 and 22, Moses calls Israel to hold fast, to take oaths in the name of God, to praise because God is their praise and because God has done great and awesome things, things that they had seen. Verse 21, things which your eyes have seen. So whether we're talking about someone who is 60 years old and they were you know, a teenager or 20 years old when they came out of Egypt, they had seen the mighty miracles, the 10 plagues that came upon Egypt. They would have seen the parting of the Red Sea. They still, up to this point, daily witnessed the miracle of manna, and they were eating that bread. They, up to this point, for 40 years, as we read last week, that their clothes didn't wear out and their feet didn't even swear, swell. I don't know if your feet can swear, but they didn't swell. Kind of came out wrong a little bit there. But one example that Moses gave them was the multiplication of their people. Another miracle, 70 went down. That was his number. Sometimes this number varies. Uh, 70 went down and it's like, yeah, but they weren't counting Joseph who was already there with his two sons. And so we, we have it vary from 70 to 75 in Scripture. Here in Deuteronomy, the number 70 is used. The point is not that small number. The point is the multitude as the stars of the, in the heaven. It's a miracle that you guys have multiplied while in slavery over 400 years, and you became a strong nation during that time. May we desire to hold fast to the one who has done great and awesome things for us. 
in giving us his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who also multiplies his church throughout the nations of the world. And we see someone receive Christ as their Savior. It is a miracle, the multiplication of the Lord's church. So chapter 11, 32 verses this time. Uh, I'm going to read a bit more context and maybe a little less commentary. But we'll see how it goes here. Key verses to me are three, verses 26 through 28. It says, Behold, I set before you a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after the other gods which you have not known. So here we have in this chapter a new aspect of blessing and cursing that God gives to the children of Israel. And we'll continue on in chapters 28 and 29. We'll get the details of those blessings and those curses. And actually the ceremony with Joshua in Joshua chapter 8 when he kept the charge of Moses once they were in the land, two mountains a mountain of blessing and a mountain of cursing. And we'll talk about that mountain of cursing as we get toward the end of this chapter. 1 through 7, it says, Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God. Keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, his commandments always. To know today that I do not speak with your children who have not known, who have not seen the chastening of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, his signs, his acts, which he had done in the midst of Egypt, to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to all his land. What he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and their chariots, how he made the waters of the Red Sea overflow them as they pursued you, how the Lord has destroyed them to this day, what he did for you in the wilderness until you came to this place, what he did to Dathan and Abram, the sons of Eliab and the son of Reuben. And the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up, their household, their tents, all the substance that was in their possessions in all the midst of Israel. And that was in the rebellion of Korah. If you remember that, the rebellion of Korah, that uh, 250 who were rebelling came with their censers before Moses and Aaron. But Dathan and Abram refused to come, so they didn't even show up for the showdown. And God still judged them in the place where they were at. But your eyes, verse 7, have seen every great act the Lord which he had done. Your eyes have seen it. So he said, I'm not talking to your children. They haven't seen these things. But you have seen, and he went from uh, the mighty works of Egypt to their time in the wilderness to the rebellion of Korah. He reminds them first, though, that they are to love. I'm not sure how to properly pronounce this. In Hebrew, the word is uh, spelt just like Ahab. And so we would read it in English. It says Ahab, but they may have a little different pronunciation of that, enunciation of that. But they were to love Yahweh, their Elohim. They were to love Yahweh, their Elohim, Yahweh, their God. And that is a verb for love. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. They were also to keep his charge. The basic idea of this Hebrew word is to exercise great care over it. They were um, to be careful or to be diligent about keeping the law of God. He listed it out here, the charge, the commandments, the statutes, the laws of Yahweh. They were to be diligent. They were to exercise great care over it. God used the same Hebrew word, this charge, uh, to Abraham in Genesis 26, 4 and 5. 
He says, I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give your descendants all these lands. And in your seed, there it is singular, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. And so to exercise great care over the words that the Lord gave to the nation of Israel. Abraham did it. Isaac was faithful to do it. Jacob was faithful to do it. And now Moses calls the second generation of Israel as they prepare to enter into the promised land to keep the charge of God. In verses 2 through 7, Moses reminds the parents of the power of God that they had seen as young teenagers or children how they had seen the judgment in Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, the provision in the wilderness, and God's judgment against those who had sinned with Korah. He was talking to the parents in order that the parents could pass on their faith to the children. But he specifically said, I'm not talking to your kids. I'm talking to you. I think this is where a lot of parents have failed. They refuse to hear the voice of God. And thus we live in a country now where the word of God is no longer being passed on to the next generation. They were encamped on the east side of the Jordan River, preparing to enter into the promised land. And they were witnesses of the mighty hand of God. In in a sense, they were to look back at all that God had done up these past 40 years to give them courage to not only enter into the promised land, but to actively live out their faith before their children that not only conquering the promised land, but helping their children to establish in the land. Deuteronomy 7, 17 through 20, it says, If you should say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh, to all Egypt, the great trials which your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand, the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out, and so shall the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. God is saying, remember what I did in the past? I'm ready to do it again for your benefit in the near future. And sometimes by looking back over the past works of God in our lives, it gives us courage to go forward in the current circumstances of our lives. So be strong, verses 8 through 17. Therefore you shall keep every commandment which I command you today, that you may be strong, go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess, that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to them and to their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land which you go in to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sown your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drink water from the rains of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end. So from the spring planting until the fall harvest, God is providing the needed nourishment for the land by watering the land. And it shall be, verse 13, that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, then I will give you rain for the land in its season, the early rain, the latter rains, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine, your oils, and I will sing grass in your fields, for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourself, lest your heart be deceived. And you turn aside, you serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you. And he shuts up the heavens so that there'll be no rain. And the land yield no produce. And you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord has given you. So the purpose of God's charge in verses 8 and 9 
Yahweh charged them to keep the commandments, the statutes, the law, not to weaken Israel. Oh, you guys worshiping Jesus all the time, it makes you weak. You're dependent on Jesus. You just, uh, he's a crutch for you. And it's like, yeah, you are absolutely right. But it's not to weaken, but to strengthen us, strengthen us individually, spiritually, but also it would strengthen their nation in keeping the charge, commandments, statutes, and laws of the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run, not be wearied. They shall walk and not faint. It is good to wait upon the Lord, to take heed. He is bringing them into a land flowing with milk and honey. That phrase, or an equivalent to that phrase, used 20 times in the Old Testament to describe the promised land. And here he gives us a little more detail of the promised land. He talked about it descriptively in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 6 through 10. Now we get a little more detail how God promised to water the land, unlike Egypt, how they had to water every seed like a water garden, um, a vegetable garden that they might have, that it was not a land that was abundant in rain. And so it took a lot of labor to bring in their crops. Here God promised from the hills to the valleys, it will be a well-watered land. From spring to fall, from planting to harvest, 13 through 15, yet the promise of rain was connected to Israel's faithfulness to the Lord. They were to keep his commandments, his charge, his statutes, his laws. They were also to take heed to themselves. So 16 and 17, that phrase, take heed to yourself, it means to keep as to hedge around with thorns. And so think of the shepherds when they were out in the fields and they brought in their sheep, maybe they're staying overnight. They might, they would have these thorny thatches where they would make a corral for the sheep to keep them safe at night, to keep the wolves or the other animals out. And this is how they were to guard, to keep, to hedge about with thorns. Take heed to yourself. Don't be deceived, not by worshiping other gods. Do so, you'll arouse the anger of the Lord God. To do so, to be deceived by worshiping other gods, God will not bless you with the rain. There'll be no rain, no produce, no land, because God would take them from the land. Hebrews 2.1 reminds us, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. We need to pay attention. It keeps us to stay in the word of God, helps us to know how we ought to walk and please God. So 18 through 25, Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart, in your soul, bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. <laughs> I was thinking about this today because... In this little section, we'll find that God's word is to be taught in their homes, but also written on the outside of their homes, so private and public. Today, as I was reading that, bind them as frontlet between your eyes, you know, let your ball cap be a Christian ball cap, that people know that you follow Jesus. We don't wear the phylacteries like they did, but bind them, verse 18, on your hand, as frontless between your eyes, 19, you shall teach them to your children. Speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house, on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land which the Lord your Father, Lord swore to your fathers to give them a land like the days of the heavens above the earth. For if you carefully keep all these commandments, which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all the nations from before you 
You will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourself. Every place which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. From the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river, the Euphrates River, even to the Western Sea, that'd be the Mediterranean Sea, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will put the dread of you against of you and the fear of you upon all the land where you tread, just as he said to you. So they were to lay up God's word in their hearts, teach it in their homes to their children while they were in their home, while they traveled at bedtime in the morning. They were to write it on their doorposts, put it on their gates. And so again, not merely private, but also public declaration of their faith in God. And Yahweh promised to bless them if they would only keep his commandments to love him, to walk in his ways, and to hold fast. So the Hebrew word for hold fast here, it properly means to impinge or to cling, to adhere. And they were to cling to the Lord. It speaks about the affection, the loyalty toward God. As a man, Genesis 2:24 clings to his wife, same word used there. Ruth 1:14, Ruth clung to Naomi, same Hebrew word. The men of Judah clung to David during Sheba's rebellion in 2 Samuel 22, and Shechem loved Diana, and so this is a negative. Shechem loved Diana, clung to her, Genesis 32, 34, 3, and Solomon clung in love to his wives, 1 Kings 11, 2. This loyalty can have either good or bad loyalty, depending on who you're clinging to, who you're loyal to. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So they were to cling to, and they were to hold themselves. And then Yahweh promised, verse 23, to drive out the inhabitants of the land, that Israel would dispossess them. God would go before them, but Israel had their role. And God wasn't just going to do it. All right, it's all empty. Go ahead, take it. I think sometimes that's how we desire the Lord to do works in our hearts. Lord, just come and take this away from me. I can't do it. And the Lord said, I'll go with you. I'll go before you. But I want you to participate in this. I want you to gain the victory. I want you to have the strength of battle that whatever the issue might be, that it will be dispossessed, driven out, and never to um, bother you again. God wants us to participate in these victories, even though he is our victor. Verse 24, every place on which the sole of your foot treads. I just sat on that, those words, this phrase earlier today. God promised Abraham in Genesis 13, 14 and 15 and verse 17 to go and to walk the land northward, southward, eastward, westward. He said, all this land which you see, I give to your descendants. Verse 17, arise and walk the land. Its length its width, for I give it to you. Every foot where your sole of your foot treads, every place. He said this in Joshua 1, 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I have given to you, as Moses said, God speaking through Joshua to the children of Israel, go, possess the land, tread all over it. It belongs to you. God swore it to you. And Caleb reminded Joshua when he desired to take his inheritance that God promised all that would be mine when we spied out the land. In Joshua 14.9, he said, I'm ready to take that inheritance. We think about the inheritance of Israel. Sometimes today we think of Israel as what we know of. It's in the news the last couple of days. 
Um, it has an area that's only 8, 9, 12 miles wide at one point, very narrow part of their country. And uh, one of the statesmen of the Biden administration saying they need to shrink a mile of that. Israel would be safer if they were smaller. Um, it's just kind of crazy. But the land that God promised was from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River. It's a much larger area than what is portioned out for Israel today. So no man will be able to stand against you, verse 25, if you walk in the ways of the Lord, love the Lord God. And Paul reminds us of this as well. If God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8:31. These promises. So the blessings and cursings. Let's read through this and close out our teaching today. 26 through 32. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. Now it shall be when the Lord your God has brought you into the land which you go to possess, that you shall put a blessing on the Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebel. And they are not on the other side of the are they not on the other side of the Jordan toward the setting sun in the land of the Canaanites who dwell in the plain? Opposite Gilgal, besides the terebinth trees of Morah. For you will cross over the Jordan, go in and possess the land which the Lord your God has given you. You will possess it and dwell in it. And you shall be careful to observe all the statutes and the judgments which I set before you today. So the blessing and the curse. The blessing and the curse. They were to rehearse these. They were actually had a ceremony where they were shout them from Mount Gerizim, the blessings, to the curse from Mount Ebel, and they would shout the blessings and shout the curses back and forth to each other. We'll read about that in Joshua chapter 8, but also later on in Deuteronomy, as Moses lays out the blessings and the cursings there. Here's an interesting thing. They were digging around in Israel early in 2022, and the Associates for Biblical Research announced that they discovered a lead tablet from Mount Ebel, and they claim it is the oldest Hebrew inscription. According to the team, it dates back to the late Bronze Age, uh, 1400 to 1200 BC. It is a legal text and curse that invokes Israel's deity, Yahweh. And the team believes it's one of the tablets that Joshua set up on Mount Ebel, the cursing. They discovered a tablet. Another thing about this, it's the earliest known Hebrew inscription earlier by several hundred years of any other Hebrew inscription that they have. So you can read about that blessing and cursing in Joshua chapter 8. Perhaps... This is our biggest blessing where it comes into play. God knowing we can never wholly keep all his laws, his commandments, his statutes, his judgments. Israel never wholly kept them. He gave them the tabernacle, later on the temple, a place where their sins could be espunged and they could find forgiveness. But today he has sent Jesus to pay the penalty of our sin to bring us into a relationship to him, with him, not based on keeping laws, but based on faith upon the work of Jesus, loving the Lord God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, dependent on the work of Jesus. As Paul said in Galatians 3, 24, and 25, therefore the law was the tutor bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith, but after faith came, we are no longer under the tutor. Now the law has its purpose. It helps us to understand how we should walk and to please God. But we cannot do it apart from Christ. And I pray, Father, that we each know that today. Perhaps those listening at a later time, maybe listening on the radio now or 
through our media feed, our video stream. Father, I pray that we each have established a relationship with you, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that your word would be in us, that we would teach it to our children, that we would share it with others around us, that we might find the blessings of God in the land that we find ourselves in. Lord, we fear that the blessings have far and few between these days. So, Father, though America has been a land of abundance for many years, there's much evil in this land as well. Perhaps your hand, Lord, is um, being taken off this land. We pray, Father, send revival. Send revival into our hearts. Help us to strive to walk in your ways, to share your love with others, to share about Jesus with those who need to know you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.